Have you ever had those moments when life is so busy, you almost feel like you're in a whirlwind? It's hard to keep not only your mind straight, but even your calendar. We've had those moments in life. For our family, one of those came in the fall of 2009. Savannah and I, in the span of about two weeks, moved to Texas. Yay? Any? No? Okay. We moved to Texas. We both started our full-time jobs for the first time. And I also started uh, graduate school for the first time. So she was learning what it meant to be a teacher. I was figuring out how to be a youth minister, all while trying to be a student. And it was challenging. We were trying to keep everything straight. I was trying to figure out um, how to teach youth group kids, what activities were fun and which ones weren't so much fun, all the while trying to do a level of schoolwork that I hadn't done before. And so I knew there was a couple things that I could control, and one of those was to try to be as organized as I could. I could at least know what was going on. And so I remember trying to put things in a calendar and being organized for one of the first times in my life coming out of, you know, being in college where you're not that, typically. And so I remember being pretty sure of myself. I knew um, what was going on, especially in school. I was, I was pretty organized. Um, a, a month or so into school, I remember showing up and <clears throat> I took two classes at Abilene Christian. And I remember um, going to my 8 a.m. class and I had a class later that day and a, a friend of mine was in both of those, and he uh, greeted me, and he said, hey, how was writing the paper this week? And I said, there's no paper due this week. Um, it's due next week. And he said, no, no, that's due in four hours. I said, no, I was pretty sure of myself, so I pulled out the syllabus out of my backpack, and I showed him that, yes, in four hours we have a ten-page paper due. <laughs> My name is Cale Courtright. I'm the spiritual formation minister here. We're so glad that you are here to worship with us at Crosspoint today. If you're one of our guests, we've said it multiple times, but we are glad that you're here and that you took time out of your busy schedule to worship with us this morning. And I hope you all grabbed a bulletin because there's a lot of things going on and I wanted to reiterate one that Jason said. You may have tripped over that table on your way in, but it will be there until we raise $2,000. Because that will go to help us provide a Thanksgiving meal for 120 families in our area. Um, and we love to do this. We want to provide this. Um, we don't take for granted what we have, but we want to share with others uh, what we have been given. And so uh, join us in this ministry. As he said, there's a lot of ways to be involved in it. Giving today um, and next week if, if need be. Um, we can, we're going to pack the boxes and deliver those in November. And so join us in this project to show our community um, the love that we have for one another here. You might have also seen on your way in this morning that there might have been some uh, places in the parking lot that were colorful. And yesterday, our children's ministry, uh, dads and kids had our color run. And um, it was a lot of fun until we had to bathe our kids for 45 minutes yesterday afterwards. So uh, We had a lot of fun. And so uh, there's all kinds of things going on here. And we invite you to join the family here at Crosspoint um, and to get involved in any way you can. Today we are uh, finishing up a series called See Jesus. And in this series, Tim has called us to see Jesus in your moments of struggle, in your moments of doubt. And today we want to wrap that up and talk about see the light. And to do so, we want to talk about a character from the book of Acts. And so we're going to read a lot of verses today. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn over or click over to 
Acts, and we'll start in chapter 8. Um, so I encourage you to go there today as we talk about a man named Saul. And if there was ever a biblical character that just knew he was right, that just knew um, that he had everything going for him, it would have been Saul. And Saul was one of those people that, even in the Bible, he will call himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has distinction. He has distinction among uh, this group um, called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a group that when we tend to read the New Testament, we tend to think of them in a very negative light. And that's true for part of it. But it's not the, the whole story. See, the word Pharisee means to, it means interpret, and that's what they sought to do, was to teach and interpret the law for Israel. At the time of Christ, they were not only a group of teachers, but they were also a political group. Now, they didn't have a lot of power because Israel was occupied by Rome, but they could influence Israel from the local level. And around the time of Christ and in the first century, there would have been about 6,000 members of the group of Pharisees, of which Saul was distinguished. He'll even remind them later in Acts that he studied under one of their great teachers. Paul is no slouch. And when I think of Paul, I think of one of those students, one of those prodigies who you know, just doesn't have to try very hard. Who just, when he shows up, schoolwork is pretty easy. Even when he becomes Paul and he starts writing in our New Testament, writing one or two books isn't enough. He has to go on and write 13. He has to write half of the New Testament because he is a high achiever. This is who he is. On top of that, he's a Roman citizen. So not only in Israel does he have religious standing, he is a teacher but he also has political standing. And so Saul had everything going for him. He knew everything. He, there was probably not much he thought that he could learn. And like Paul, I'm sitting there in class learning that I don't have a paper due in a week. I have a paper due in four hours. I have a 10-page paper due in four hours. And so on the outside, you know, I'm trying to keep a calm demeanor. Okay, it's no big deal. And inside, I'm like, there is like a, you know, this worry, like cloud has filled everything. And I'm sweating bullets. And so I do as any of you would do. And I just start writing. And I just start typing. And for four hours, I just write. And four hours later, I turn in a paper. I didn't say it was a good paper, but I turned in a paper. So sometimes thinking that you know everything can get you in trouble, thinking you're so sure about everything. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. We're going to start there and we'll go over to Acts chapter 9. And this is where Saul comes on the scene. At the end of Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen has died. Stephen was one of the first Christian um, deacons and he becomes one of the first Christian martyrs, meaning he'll die for his faith. Um, And so Paul... I'm going to do that a lot today. Saul, Saul is there and he is witnessing this event. And this is what the text says in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. 
he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So Saul, when we read here, we, we get a glimpse of what kind of person this is. Um, this story, this, this little uh, snippet of Paul here is snuck into um, some other stories. And if you're reading this for the first time, if you're hearing the story, you immediately know who you're seeing. You're seeing the bad guy. It's almost like, you know, if you've ever seen Jaws, there could even be those moments that the water's calm, but you start hearing that music. Dun-na. You know what I'm talking about? Dun-na. And you know that's the bad guy's music. And so you read this in Saul, and I'm like, yeah, it's very plain, but you know, like, this is the opposition. This is the person that will be standing up against um, our heroes. And our heroes in this story are the apostles, are those who follow Christ. And we know that Saul stands against them. And Luke, in his writing of Acts, will continue this in Acts chapter 9. So flip over there, Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and it reads this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and eager and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. The way is what they first called uh, Christians. Before they called them churches, before they called them Christians, they called us the way. And Saul is going everywhere trying to rid Israel of members of the way. And of course, we read this and we know that he's the enemy. But remember, this is the person who knew everything. How could he, who knew everything, become the enemy? And how could he be so wrong? And typically when we think of, when we see in movies stories about the enemy, we read about them, we kind of see um, the bad guy operating in the shadows. We kind of see them being sneaky about their bad behavior. But not so with Saul. Saul, it says, goes right to the high priest for support, for permission. And that's exactly what he finds. He goes to the high priest in Israel and he says, I want to arrest and kill these people who follow Jesus. And they say, you have our permission. In fact, Saul is almost like the prosecutor for the Sanhedrin, the high council of the Jewish people. He's the one sent out to find people and to arrest them for for their wrongdoings. He is who we look at as the bad guy. But I wonder if Saul read this Before he becomes Paul, I wonder if when he would read this, if he would think the same thing. After all, these are people trying to teach God's word, trying to teach about the God that they read of in the Old Testament. So how could they do this? You might wonder to yourself, how could someone dedicated to God's law become this kind of person? Again, I mentioned he knew the law frontwards and backwards. And so I want to point you to Deuteronomy chapter 17. The verse will be on the screen. This is what it says. This is a passage he would know. When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman among you might do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violate the covenant. For instance, they might serve other gods or worship the sun, the moon, or any stars, the forces of heaven, which I have strictly forbidden. When you hear about it, investigate the matter thoroughly. If it is true that this detestable thing has been done in Israel... 
then the man or woman who has committed such an evil act must be taken to the gates of the town and stoned to death. What Saul is engaging in here is biblical. He is engaging, he is, his actions are being carried out because they have been ordained by God. The story we read in Acts chapter 7 of Stephen being stoned, this is exactly how it played out. If someone is being an idolater, if they're worshiping a God other than our God, then the punishment is death by stoning. That's exactly what we see happen in Acts chapter 7. This is the person who knew everything, and specifically they knew everything that the Old Testament had to teach, and they are living that out. We read it and we automatically assume and we know this is the bad guy. I think they'd be like, wait a minute. I'm doing exactly what God asked us to do. And sometimes, just when you think you know everything, just when you think you see exactly as God would have you to see, it's when you find out that you were blind the whole time. See, Saul knew everything. And yet, he's about to find out that he was the one who was turning a blind eye to how God would have him to be. So Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 3, says this. As he was approaching Damascus, this is Saul, on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink anything. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to all the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to go to, every, to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Isn't that how it happened for you? (laughs) You're walking along one day, Jesus just stops you. See, Saul was someone who was so entrenched in his ideas that that may have been the only option for him. He was so sure of everything, and it took his world being turned upside down. I love this quote about Saul's conversion from Flannery O'Connor, which says, I reckon the Lord knew the only way to make a Christian out of that one was to knock him off his horse. And maybe you know people like that in your life. So here we see a story of a man who loses his sight 
only to gain a whole new perspective. He thought he knew correctly the whole time, and he learned that it was he who was blind. And haven't you been in a situation like this before? No, not Jesus stopping you on a road, but haven't you been in a place before where you were just so sure that you knew everything, only to find out that you were wrong? Now, normally for us, it doesn't happen quite this fast. But if you look back over your life, if you look back five years, ten years, twenty years, you might think, you might see that you have changed things about how you think. You might realize that you have been transformed over time. That what you once thought is not what you think anymore. You might have left yourself open to being transformed by the Jesus who stopped Saul, to realize, I don't have it all figured out either. We grow and we change over time. And I think this is what we can learn. One of the things we can learn from Acts 9 and Saul's conversion, that there might be something you're so sure about. There might be something that you don't even have the shadow of a doubt, but you might also realize that you're wrong. You knew you were right. You had to be right, but you weren't. This is what Jesus can do in our lives when we leave ourselves open to it. See, Saul knew everything the Old Testament had to offer. In fact, I would go to say that for him, following God was his highest priority. He dedicated his life to the teaching and interpreting of God's word. He had it all, and yet he was missing the one thing. Saul had everything, but he lacked Jesus, so he had nothing. And sometimes the same can be said of our life. We can have everything, but if we miss Jesus, what we really have is nothing. And so, what we learn in comparison to Jesus, that nothing compares to him. There is nothing as important as he is. And so, for us, as his disciples... What we see from Saul is that we want to hold on to our faith with Jesus tightly, with everything that we have. We hold on to him and we fix our eyes on him because it is by him that we walk and we see and we have life. But everything else, we hold loosely. Because we know that in comparison to our faith in Jesus, in comparison to who he is, nothing else matters. And so we hold tightly to him And we hold loosely to everything else. So how do we make sure that we don't repeat Saul's mistakes? How do we make sure that we can see as God would have us to see? And the first thing I would say is that we need to embrace an attitude of humility. And we need to be people who are humble and rather than proud. That our stance needs to be the one of a student as someone who can learn, not as someone who has it all figured out, not as someone who only teaches but never learns. See, Saul himself will go on to become the man that we know of as Paul. And in his own writings, he will talk about becoming, being a humble person. In the book of Philippians, as Paul, he writes that you need to, your attitude should be the same as Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Saul, at one point, knows everything. He, he's so sure of it that he will put you to death if you disagree. To, on the other hand, he says, no, you need to be as humble as Jesus did, as Jesus was. So Jesus is our ultimate example in everything. Jesus was humble at his very core, the person who had the rights to the throne, and he gave it all up. And Saul, as Paul, will say, you need to be the same way. doesn't matter what rights you think you have. doesn't mean, doesn't matter what you think you've earned. Your attitude should be that of Christ. You should have an attitude of humility. And I could argue that if Saul had had this attitude, he wouldn't have even needed the road to Damascus moment. As I've alluded to, he was standing there in Acts chapter 7. He's standing there as they have convicted and will stone Stephen to death. It says that Saul approved of this. But before they do that, they allow Stephen to have one last word. And Stephen goes on to preach a gospel message. He's preaching to the Jewish leaders about how their Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And those with an attitude of humility, with ears to to hear and eyes to see, could have in that moment seen that it was Jesus all along that they should have been following. Saul was standing right there when he heard the gospel message and instead condoned of his killing. If he had had an attitude of humility, he might not have needed to be blinded. And the second thing we need in addition to humility is we need a community. See, Jesus does all the work in this story, but he also needs a man named Ananias. Jesus does the first work in Saul's life, but it is brought across the finish line by Ananias. As we read, he calls out to Ananias and he says, Go to my servant Saul, who I have chosen to be my messenger to the Gentiles. And imagine if that's you for a moment. This is a man who by all accounts is a serial killer, right? He is going around, um, and especially people like Ananias. If I go there, I'm, I mean, that doesn't, that's insanity, right? But he doesn't turn down God's vision. So see, too, he, too, is getting a vision just like Saul. And he goes there, and I don't know how you would greet Saul in this moment. I don't know if you'd be standoffish. I don't know what you would call him. I don't know what you would say to him. I might have said something like, uh, I'm only here because God spoke to me in a vision, and I have to be, but... I don't really want to be here. I'm leaving right after this. But Ananias doesn't do that. The text says that Ananias goes and he puts his hands on Saul. He doesn't call him murderer Saul. He doesn't call him enemy Saul. He calls him brother Saul. What we see here is that we need the community. That Saul, this is a man who's had his whole world turned upside down, so much so that he can't even see And in a moment's notice, he knows he can't go back to his old life, but where does he go from here? He can't go back to what he was doing. He can't go back to the high council and say, "Ah, I'm not going to go put those people to death because I am one of those people. He's not going to do that. So where does he go? And he finds that the community that God has provided for him is the kind of community that welcomes and opens and leaves a seat at the table for Saul, even someone like Saul. And we too should be the same. In this we see that God has, in Acts 9, we see that God has opened up his kingdom to anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what 
acts you've engaged in or haven't engaged in, what he sees is that even someone, a murderer who is going after Jesus' followers, there is room for him. And there's room for you too. And that's the kind of community that we're called to be to resemble that. That when people come into our midst, it doesn't matter where they have been. The only label we give them is brother or sister. That is who we are. And Saul needed that in his life. He needed someone that would wrap their arms around him. And so we try to live that out even here at Crosspoint. That's why we talk about connect groups all the time. And why we will continue to do so. Because you need people in your life that will make room at the table for you. That when they learn your past, will still just call you brother or sister. Not by any other title or any other term. Because that's who we are because of what Jesus has done in our life. And so we need to have a spirit of humility and we need to have the community around us. But the thing that I love most in this passage is I see the kind of God that we have. We don't have the kind of God that says, sorry Saul, you've had all your chances. You were there when Stephen, you've heard about me, that's it for you. We have the kind of God who will stop us and blind us if that's what it takes. That that's what Saul needed. He was so sure that he could see. He had to be physically blind to realize that he was spiritually blind the whole time. And the same is true for you. God is pursuing you with everything that he has. He wants you as one of his sons and daughters. He calls you son or daughter. That's all he wants is for you to be part of his family. We have a God that will go to the ends of the earth for you, went to the end of his life for you. This is who our God is. And so as his disciples, we want to see Jesus, and that's the only thing we want to see. That's the only thing that we need to see, is to see Jesus. And I don't know where you're at in your life right now. If you're in a moment of struggle, if you're in a moment of doubt, if you're in a moment of spiritual blindness, but whatever the case is, is that we know that seeing Jesus is the only thing that matters. As I invite the praise team back on stage, I want to close with one more verse for you today. This verse is who you are. This is your identity, and it also gives you purpose. Just like Saul had an identity as brother, as son of the Most High King, he also had a purpose, which was to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. And so this is for you. From 1 Peter it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is who you are. You are a chosen people. You are God's special possession, each and every one of you. But you have a purpose, and it's that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Let our lives be one that are filled with praise, that when people see us, they see the light of the sun Let our lives be those that reflect Jesus. If you have anything that needs to be prayed over today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room, and we want to welcome you as brother or sister and to pray with you and to journey with you. Once you go see them, if you have a need, let's stand while we sing.